Well, we get to get into 2 Corinthians today. You ready? You ready to, to jump into that? We kind of set the stage for this last Sunday. If you were here, we told the story and everything about this letter that we don't have. This letter that he wrote that was to the church at Corinth. And he just kind of like busted them for their behavior. And when he hit the send button, like he sent it over with Titus, it's kind of like, oh, I shouldn't have sent that type thing. It was like so harsh, so it was painful. But I think at the same time, it was probably necessary. Like they had to deal with the issue and at some point you have to say things. You have to say something. You know, we've said things in here generally about, you know, uh, behavior things that have gone on. And uh, sometimes you just have to say it. And that's kind of what Paul did with this letter. So now we get to 2 Corinthians. This letter was written about 20 years after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. So he's had 20 years to process what Luke was talking about, the main thing, that Jesus came, he was the Messiah, he was our Savior, and he's the Lord of our life. That's the main thing. And so now he's processed that for 20 20 years. I'm going to show you a chart that is on our uh, com page, and you can go to that and see it and even save it if you want. But this is the books of the New Testament. And as we've we started years ago, we went through the Gospels. You can see them. We haven't even got to the Gospels yet in the timeline. If we're at 2 Corinthians, that happened in 57 AD. And <clears throat> the Gospels are, are next, even though we won't go through them. But we're starting 2 Corinthians happened in 57 AD. Paul wrote it, and he was in the area of Macedonia. Again, let me show you the map real quick. You can see the overall map. If you see the boot, you know where Italy is. And then you have the Mediterranean Sea just south of that. You have Israel to the east of that, down in the green and the red area. And then let's zoom in to where Paul's actual third trip took place. The third trip took place, uh, he started in Jerusalem, and the two that I want to focus on today is in the upper left-hand corner, Paul is in Macedonia at this point. He's there, Philippi and Thessalonica, and he's writing to the church at Corinth, which is directly south of him, directly south in Greece. So he's already written three letters to the church at Corinth, and he said that he wanted to come visit them, but because of this letter, well, we'll get into it here today. And here's what you have to understand about Paul. He was a tent maker, a tent maker. Like, he would go to town, he would probably set up a tent, kind of like a model home. He'd have his materials in there, and he would literally make tents inside of his tent, his workshop. And I could see people coming in and talking to him, just sitting on the material, and Paul sharing the gospel with them. This is the way he did it. 
it was kind of like his Sunrise Cafe. It was his Panera. It was his wherever you hang out with people. And so that's what he was known for. So as he did this manual labor, you have to think about the church that he was writing to in Corinth. It would have carried like a social stigma for Paul to be a tent maker because Corinth was this well-developed port town with wealthy people, probably the size of Fishers, a little over 100,000 people. Uh, It was well-to-do. They were well-educated. And Paul's a tent maker. Like, there's something different about Paul. So you also had this, this mix... At this point, it was the Roman Empire that ruled the whole area. Yet at the same time, there was this Greek Orthodox that took place. Like Paul literally read the scriptures from a Greek manuscript, which we call the Septuagint. This is what he taught from. So there was this mixed culture of Rome and Greece at the time. And the Corinthians... They saw themselves profoundly connected to the city of Rome itself, like they were all in, they had bought in. But again, there was still Greek culture values, which is going to be very important as we go through this book. The things that are important to the Corinth leadership is, one, there's power. If you're well-connected and you can influence people, you have power. And so you were respected if you had power. The other thing that was important to them was the ability to be able to speak well, that you were skilled in the rhetoric of the day, that you could talk in front of people. Another thing that was important to them was education, that you be educated, that you actually know what you're talking about when you're speaking. And then I think the fourth thing was just wealth. That if you had money, if you had possessions, if you had uh, housing, if you had all these things, it was important to them. Well, think about this. Paul's a tent maker. doesn't have a house. He's not educated. He's not wealthy. He says that I'm not a great speaker. Like... And if you talk about, does he have power? He always talked about his weaknesses. So you look at those things that are important to leadership of Corinth, and Paul's like, I I don't have any of that. So he's constantly trying to prove himself. So we get into the letter, 2 Corinthians. He says, Paul, an apostle, just as Luke was talking about, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, uh, Timothy, he mentions Timothy because Timothy is the one that's going to be delivering the letter from Macedonia to Corinth. And Timothy and Paul, they're, that's the mentor and the student. It's just this relationship that they have that's strong. But here, here's one thing that he said. An apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will. Whenever you drop, well, it's God's will, that's the trump card. That's like, that's like the ultimate. Well, you ask somebody a question, why, why did you do that? 
Because the Spirit led me to? What do you say to that? There's there's nothing greater than that, and that's what Paul's saying. As an apostle of Christ Jesus, I'm just doing God's will. This is why I'm doing it. This is why I'm writing you this letter. And he says, To the church of God at Corinth, with all the saints who were throughout Achaia. Again, he calls the church what? Saints. You are a saint. (laughs) I got one amen. You are a saint. Why are you a saint? Because you believed, you simply believed that Jesus was the Son of God. And then he came here as your Savior to die on the cross. His blood was poured out. Your sins were forgiven. And because you believe that, he made you a saint. Uh, it's, it's not just a title. It's who you are. It's your identity. It's important. And we'll teach that every week right here. That Watch this. This is important because... Just because you believed there was a transformation that happened in your life, your old sinful nature was taken out and you were made a new creation. Your old, cold, stone heart was taken out and you were given a new heart. You were made a new person. It's not like God's looking at you through a Jesus filter. He's literally made you holy, righteous, and forgiven. That's who you are. You're a saint. You're holy. So Paul, in all of his letters, he's like, you're a saint. You're a saint. You're a saint. He doesn't say you're a sinner that's saved by grace. He doesn't, he doesn't ever call them sinners. Yeah, I still sin, but that's not my true identity. That's not who I am. I'm a saint. I'm righteous. I'm holy. You can look at me for the things that I do, but that's your problem. Look at me for who I am and how God has made me. So he says, I write to you, to the church of God at Corinth. And again, I'll remind you what happened here is like, it's not like in Corinth, it's a pretty big area. If you got 100,000 people there and there's a certain percentage that are believers in Jesus, there's not one place that they're all coming together. Even though there were temples to Diana and things like that, that would hold 25,000 people. They didn't meet there. They met in homes. So there's multiple homes all over Corinth. And he's writing to all those homes. Let's say 80% of them, doesn't say that, okay, that's my, 80% of them were following Paul fully. Like, we believe everything that Paul's saying, but maybe there's a small group, could be 5%, could be 20%, I don't know, that had their own interpretation, had their own thoughts, And although they were similar to Paul's, they weren't the same. And they brought opposition to Paul's ministry. And so now he's got to write this letter. Everybody's got to get on the same page. Main thing, main thing. Verse 2, it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he uses this statement in almost all of his letters. And grace always precedes peace. There's a reason for that. 
Because when you can understand grace, then you have peace. If you can give grace, look, if you can give grace, you can have peace. But here's the great thing that from that. It says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Where does the grace come from? Not from me. Where does the peace come from? Not from me. From God our Father. And the Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus is like in the upper room with his disciples, and he's getting ready to go to the cross, and they're all freaking out. He says, may my peace be your peace. That that makes me feel good. Like, if I can have a peace beyond what I can create, what he gives me, if my peace can be Jesus' peace, then we're good. And then he gets into the actual letter. It's kind of like his prologue, these next few verses. It's somewhat formal, but there's also some theological processing that he puts on them right here. We get into verse 3. And my translation that I'm using, which is the Christian Standard Bible, says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort. It is for your comfort which produces you you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings, so you will also share in the comfort. Now, the Greek word that he uses for comfort there that is periklesis. Okay, so that doesn't mean anything to you. But how it's interpreted in different places is, is actually used the word encouragement. What's the difference between Encouragement and comfort. What is it? I'm asking you. Encouragement is to action. To do something. What? What do you think the difference is? Yeah, Kyle. Ooh, did you hear that? Encouragement typically brings comfort, but comfort doesn't necessarily bring encouragement. I like that. Anybody else? Yeah, Luke. I think comfort's a, it's a fault of the will to try to, you know, twist or that's comfort is emotion. So if you try to comfort someone, you try to basically love them and their emotion where they're at. Encouragement is more confusing where it's like you try to build them up so that they can continue. Yeah. Like, literally, that's a great word. Encouragement builds them up, but comfort kind of, I like to use the word sympathize with them. Uh, Whenever you think comfort, you think of mom or 
somebody you know that's like holding you when your encouragement is probably a coach from a stage that's like spurring you on you know there's there's quite a bit of difference there and so now let me read this to you again and let me substitute comfort for encouragement which in some translations it uses the word encouragement okay it's not like i'm adding this to it it's just how they've translated it with the different versions blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and the god of all encouragement he encourages us in our affliction so that we may be able to encourage those who are in any kind of affliction through the encouragement we ourselves receive from god for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us so also through Christ our encouragement overflows if we are afflicted it is for your encouragement and salvation if we are encouraged it is for encouragement which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer and our hope for you is firm because we know that as you share in the sufferings so you will also share in the encouragement Now he used those terms 9 times in that paragraph. As we look at the use here, I really believe that Paul's intentions were to encourage. Like that's the reason that he's writing this letter. He's cheering them on if they can do anything. One is responding to their behavior. And so now he's trying to encourage them in their behavior. So And then uh, for the actual content of that paragraph right there suffering look suffering's difficult we all we all can agree with that but you get to the point in your suffering after time where you can begin to sympathize with others that are going through the similar sufferings everybody out here has suffered to some point and because of your suffering you're able to relate to those who are going through the same situation and that's literally what he's saying here if you're going to suffer it's for encouragement so that you can learn and you can sympathize with other people and you can minister with other people because the suffering that you've gone through I had a conversation just last night where uh, the the friend said uh my parents divorced when I was 4 years old and I was able to say I grew up in a single parent home I'm not trying to compete or compare or anything else like that but I just want to say I get you I understand I I've experienced suicide in my family my My mother had dementia. I I'm not trying to compare one up. I'm just saying I get you. I get where you're coming from. And this is all Paul saying as we go through suffering, use the suffering to encourage one another. There's good that comes out of suffering. We comfort, we encourage through our sympathy. it's hard to sympathize when someone when you haven't been through what they've been through 
But if you have, it becomes much easier. Verse 80 says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. Remember on the map, Asia's to the east there, and that's where he was in Ephesus. He was in Ephesus when he wrote 1 Corinthians. It says, Of our affliction that took place in Asia, we were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. We literally thought we were going to die. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such terrible death and He will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again while you join in helping us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gift that came to us through the prayers of the many. Remember that one purpose, one of the purposes of the prologue was kind of to update people on what had been going on with the author. And that's exactly what's going on right here. If you remember that when he was in Ephesus, there was a huge riot that took place. Remember that? And he literally thought that he was going to die. So Paul's now giving an update to the Corinthians on something that has really affected his life and ministry just recently. Like this just occurred. I left Ephesus and went to Macedonia. Now, part of the reason why he's doing that is to get their sympathy. Like, he's trying to associate with them, if any of you have been in this position, I just want you to know the position that we were in. He wants them to know that some of his change in plans has been due to very unexpected and very difficult circumstances. He's, he's getting to his point here and saying, man, it was really, really bad. And because it was really bad, I'm going to explain to you what happened here in just a second. So people wonder, what was Paul's affliction when he says we were afflicted? Some people wonder if it was an actual physical affliction. Like, like, did he feel ill? Did he get sick? What was that? He doesn't really mention that. Was it psychological because he sent that letter and hit the send button? And was it was that the affliction? Was it bothering him that bad? Or was it again the persecution? If I were to like fall on one thing, it would probably be the persecution that he was experiencing. Remember, there was a mob mentality that was going on in Ephesus, and they were against Paul facing the mob you feel like you're going to be killed. Verse 12, it says, Indeed, this is our boast. The te- Remember that word, boast. Indeed, this is our boast. The testimony. We're boasting about our testimony. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially toward you with godly sincerity and purity, not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. For we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand. Well, kind of. 
you know, Peter even had a hard time understanding what Paul was saying. I hope you will understand completely, just as you have partially understood us, that we are your reason for pride. There's that word that, you know, I, I just don't like that translation. He used boast in the beginning, and he's really saying the same thing. If we're going to boast, some translations use boasting. Some translations actually say rejoicing. That we are your reason for rejoicing, just as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Now, what is he doing right here in this paragraph? Well, one, he's affirming his integrity. He's like, look, the only thing that we have done is we've come and we've told the main thing. That's really all that we've done. We, we keep telling the story of Jesus everywhere we go. The same play is just like we teach the same thing week to week to week. Paul's going to different places, and he's keeping the main thing the main thing. I'm teaching the main thing, and it's not based upon my wisdom. It's based upon God's grace. It's how God is leading us. So he's trying to establish his integrity. If Paul loses his integrity, he loses his ministry. I, you watch it around here. I mean, you watch it around religious world here. If a pastor loses their integrity, they lose their ministry. They lose their audience. You've seen it. I don't have to mention names. You know them. It happens. So integrity is important to a pastor. It's important to a teacher. If you want people to listen to you, they have to believe you. They have to trust you. They have to depend upon your word. Now, I get that the boasting seems kind of prideful, especially if you translate it as being proud. But we can also boast about what the Lord is doing. Like, I, I'm still amazed. I'm still amazed that we're at Pinhead's. That is nothing on my doing. Like, we have been in this room right here since April of 2008. And they've yet to send me a bill. And you could, you could boast about that. Like, look what we did. But I don't even understand that. Like, if you knew the situation financially of this entertainment center in 2008, 2009, they were losing their shorts. And a new manager came in and actually kicked us out. But a week later, he let us back in. Again, I boast in the Lord because that wasn't anything we did. That was just the Lord opening the doors for us. And that manager literally said to me, we want you to feel like you have a home here. What? That's not me. That's the Lord. I'll boast in that all day long. What about the fact that we don't even talk about money around here? (laughs) That we don't pass an offering plate. There's no joy box in the back. We kind of even make it difficult to figure out how to even support the ministry. What about that fact? 
yet there's plenty of resources that we help people every week. Explain that. I can't explain that. It's not my doing. It has nothing to do with me. I'll boast in the Lord all day long about that. Then you you always get the question, well, how many people are coming to Pinheads? Are you growing? Like, they're concerned about the numbers, but if I'm going to answer the question, yeah, we're growing. But it's not about the numbers. It's about them spiritually. I, I see major growth in my community because of how they respond to the Word, how they're digging in the Word, how they're searching the Word, how they're helping people, how they're caring for people, how they affect their community. Yeah, I absolutely we're growing. But it has nothing to do with me. I'll boast about that all day long, that the Lord, the Holy Spirit, is doing something inside of them that is amazing, and it's an incredible adventure. So when Paul's saying... We boast, we're not boasting about Paul. He's talking about his weaknesses and his afflictions and everything. He's boasting about what the Lord's doing in his life. That's a good kind of boast. In fact, you know, it says, come to the throne of grace with boldness. Like, you can be confident in what Jesus is doing. Verse 15, he says, because of this confidence... I plan to come to you first so that you could have a second benefit and to visit you on my way to Macedonia. He's already been to Corinth once, so now he's talking about coming a second time. He told them that he was going to come there, and now he didn't come there. He went to Macedonia. But he's literally saying all these things have occurred. And to visit you on my way to Macedonia and then to come to you again from Macedonia. Like, I was going to come to Corinth first, go to Macedonia, and then come back to you. And be helped by you on my journey to Judea, like financially helped. Now, when I planned this, was I of two minds? Or what I planned, do I plan in a purely human way so that I say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? He's like saying, you may think that I'm wishy-washy, because I told you I was going to come to Corinth, but I went to Macedonia first. Paul's plans changed, and he's trying to explain why they changed. Paul made his plans, but the Lord changed his plans. He's literally saying, I could walk according to my flesh, my selfish self, or... I can walk by the Spirit, and as the Spirit leads, He changes things, and I pursue the Spirit. Paul is not walking according to his flesh as much as he wanted to go to Corinth, but now he's literally saying, I'm not wishy-washy, I just trust the Lord. In verse 18 he says, As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. Paul literally saying the same faithfulness and integrity is reflected in all of our actions as we're carrying out this ministry to you. My yeses are yes, and my noes are noes, 
but the Lord's directing my life. I'm going to do as he leads me. Verse 19, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, did not become yes and no. On the contrary, in him, it is always yes. Yes, I will pursue the Spirit. Yes, I will follow God. Even though our plans change, we still commit to come visit you. I'm still wanting to come see you. My flesh said yes, but I followed the Spirit. Verse 20, for every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. He has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. What he does is he explains his situation. And now he's appealing to them through some theological principles as the foundation of what he's doing. It's simple. I have a spirit inside of me and he's leading me. And so now Paul is approaching this difficult moment in his ministry by doing clear communication. I'm just communicating with you. And I want you to think why theologically. That's a good pattern to communicate clearly and to make you process. It's God's plan, not ours. We're just following it. I'm telling you, integrity for Paul and for me and any teacher is important for ministry and to clearly communicate, to clearly communicate. (laughs) I'm glad that this is being recorded now. I didn't used to want it to be recorded. But you know how many times people have said, well, Rusty said... And when I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, gosh, is this going to come out right? Because half the time it doesn't come out right. No, actually, what I did say was this. But a lot of times you hear what I say based upon what you want to hear me say. And you'll use that. And so Paul is literally saying yes and no. He's clearly communicating so the integrity of his ministry remains. And then these last few verses here, it actually goes, it continues into chapter 2. It says, I, I call on God as a witness on my life that it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. <laughs> it was a good thing I didn't come there. I, I do not mean that the Lord that we lord it over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy because you stand firm in your faith. Now he's encouraging them. He says, in fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. I wasn't going to come to you again and, and just like lay it down to you face to face. I'd rather like send this letter, have you deal with it as a body, and then when I come the second time, It's done with, and we can enjoy one another. He says, For if I cause you pain, then who will cheer me other than the one being hurt by me? I wrote this very thing so that when I came, 
I wouldn't have pain from those who ought to give me joy, because I am confident about all of you that my joy will also be yours. For I wrote to you with many tears, out of an extremely troubled and anguished heart. This is, this is why we know about that letter, is he's talking about it right here. He's like, I, I cried over writing that letter. It bothered me. I was anguished by writing that letter. He says, not to cause you pain, but that you should know the abundant love that I have for you. If you're messing this thing up, if you're making bad decisions, if you're chasing your flesh, I'm probably going to pursue the Spirit. Do I say something to Him? Not out of condemnation, but out of love. Like, there's something better for you. Like, you, you can pursue your flesh, but let's look at it from this perspective. What if you did this? Not condemning what you've done, but out of love. I really believe that's what this group is about. Is that passing judgment? Yeah. I'm good with that. I think I have a spirit inside of me. I think you have a spirit inside of you. I think we are able to judge us. That's fair, if you want to call that judgment. But how, how do you deal with it? Paul's like saying, oh gosh, this is, this is like destroying me. This is like messing me up. But I, I really got to like encourage you in pursuing the right thing. He's explaining why he didn't come straight to Corinth. He agonized through this painful letter and was totally afflicted when he hit the sin button. Oh. But he also had to address the situation so when he did come, they could get past the situation and experience each other's presence with joy. Just let's get together and be thankful for what we have. He said, my motive is not to hurt you, but that you might know the very great love that I do have for you. I'm not trying to crush you. I'm trying to encourage you in the right thing. So in terms of motive, Paul's saying, I love you. I mean, let's just be honest here. Sometimes we, we chase our flesh. But we're in a community that I believe that truly loves one another. So why can't we be honest with one another? Why can't we just encourage one another? It's not being critical. It's just being loving. I think that's fair. I, I would want you to come to me if you see me doing something wrong. I would want you to. I'm not going to be mad at you. Maybe at first. I don't know. That would be my flesh. But if I understand your motive, if I understand why we're doing that, Iron sharpens iron. That's what we're here for. 
love on one another. And, that's, and, and so when I read this letter that Paul's writing, it's what it's got to be. I, you're the body of Christ. You're part of the body. We're all in this body together. When you hurt, I hurt. So let's keep the main thing. Stay focused. Trust the Spirit in you. I'll say that all the time. I trust the Spirit in you. I do. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me. It's the same one that lives in you. That's crazy. So God, uh, for those that are in this room and even those that are listening today, uh, we are your body. And sometimes we hurt together. Sometimes we even suffer together. But may we truly love one another. May we encourage one another. Um, I thank you for this letter that Paul has written, even the ones previous, that he is able to lovingly care for the body by judging and redirecting and encouraging and even comforting. May we be that body here today. May you use us in a mighty way to comfort one another, to encourage one another in our faith. And may we boast in what you do. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.